What if you could measure your employer brand as a single number? What if you could track it over time? We do that. It's called the Employer Brand Index. Continuously measuring what's positive and negative about you as an employer from a candidate perspective is the key. The Employer Brand Index helps you measure your employer brand and validates your perceptions or draw up a few surprises, both good and bad. The Employer Brand Index works best when done over time to see how things are changing. Some companies use it as a baseline before they launch their EVP. Others add in some talent competitors to see how they stack up. Stay on top of your employer brand. Go to employerbrandindex.co to learn more. Hey, Sans Vaison, it's Jorgen Sundberg here with the Employer Branding Podcast, brought to you by your friends here at Link Humans, where we do data-driven employer branding. Today, we're going to talk to an old buddy. Some of you will remember John Addison being on the podcast a couple of years ago. He's, of course, at LinkedIn, and we're going to actually go over kind of live, not really, but uh, this was recorded at LinkedIn Talent Connect here in London. And John is going to tell us all about uh, what's going on in LinkedIn's world around talent and, of course, employer brand. So let's start the show. Hey, John, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? You're good. Good to see you. Great, thank you. How have you been? It's been two years since you were on. Lots been going on. Been busy, been busy. So at the time, you were head of UK talent solutions for LinkedIn, and now you're head of EMEA in the same role. That's right. How is that different? Well, it's different because I'm located out of Dublin for a start. Mm -hmm. um, it's also a, a far broader uh, region, obviously, with all of our EMEA enterprise territories covered for talent solutions. So I get a chance to learn and listen to all of our customers in talent solutions across a huge number of countries and regions. And I get to hear about the challenges that everybody's facing and the huge opportunities that they've got ahead in everything that they're doing, but also what they're doing with LinkedIn. So it's really exciting to get that view. Great. Well, digging deeper into some of the, the trends and some of the patterns that you've uh, spotted. But first of all, talk to me about the, the new world of work. What does the, the future look like, according to John? Well, you know, we've been thinking uh, a lot about this concept of the new world of work, and it's been the theme for our um, Talent Connect on Tour event here in London this week. Yeah. And I think really what we're talking about in terms of the future world of work is one that's much more skill-centric, and we've been really thinking about professional networks and the role that they play in how people who have skills find access to economic opportunity and how businesses take a more skill-centric approach in how they assess a much broader talent landscape in pursuit of the skills that they need in a far more diversified ecosystem that they operate. So that's really where a lot of our thinking is. And it's particularly you know, prevalent when we're thinking about talent pools like the UK, where we've witnessed some cooling and we've witnessed some pressure on the talent market here. And it's interesting to see how customers are reacting in that context. And what do you mean by increasing the visibility of potential and how can we go about doing this? Well, when I talk about the power of networks and how it relates to access to skills we need, we think about in this in the context of really the natural advantages you might have as somebody who has a strong network over somebody who does not. And it may well be that you have highly relevant skills and you're deeply talented and have all the qualities you might need for an opportunity. 
but as a consequence of a number of things potentially outside of your control, it may be very difficult for you to access that opportunity. And so we're working really hard thinking about ways that we can uncover and make more visible this hidden skill and this hidden talent. If you, for example, are from the wrong part of the country, you have the wrong postcode, you didn't go to the right school or university, and you've never worked at one of the top companies that potentially people with opportunity consider when they're looking for, for talent. And is that the network gap that I've heard you talk about? Well, we've got our data scientists to look into this area and we've come up with certain conclusions. And if you look at some of those aspects, what we've found is that, you know, if you're lucky enough to be somebody, for example, born in the right area, gone to the right university and secured a job in a top company, there is a multiplier effect in terms of the benefit of the strength of your network and how it affects your access to economic opportunity in the future. And if you've been brought up in the right area, you're three times more likely to have a strong network than someone who isn't on LinkedIn. And if you've been to a top university, you're two times again. If you've worked for a top company, you're two times again. The multiplier effect of that is that you're 12 times more likely to be able to access the opportunity that you want moving forward in your career. This is deeply imbalanced. Yes. And it's not only bad news for the individuals that are not in those virtuous cycles of strong networks because it's incredibly difficult to break out of like being on the other side of that it's also bad for businesses because we feel that there are a huge number of highly relevant skilled people highly talented people who as a consequence of having weak networks and are in a vicious cycle of accessibility to opportunity. They're really hidden from the businesses that we all know have a major gap when it comes to finding the skills that they need in an increasingly you know, technologically advanced world. So we think that if we can break the relationship between vicious and virtuous cycles in the network gap, we've got a really great opportunity of breaking down the inheritance of this, which is a skills gap for business. So I'm just thinking there's one contradiction here because LinkedIn traditionally has been around. You should be on LinkedIn, you should connect to people you know and trust. But if you only do that and you haven't got those strong networks to begin with, how will you ever then be able to break into the better network for, for your career purpose? Well, I think it's contingent on members of the virtuous parts of the network yeah. right, to seek out people who are in vicious cycles. Yeah. But also, it's not like people who do not have access to strong networks aren't trying, right? There is usually, I think, a breakthrough moment, right? Whether it's access to a, a part of a network that's abundant in connections, that might be breaking out of, you know, not living in a great area, but getting into a great school, right? As a consequence mm-hmm. of your academic capabilities. Or the fact you may not have gone to higher education, but you managed to get a job that allowed you to, over time, get access to a top company as a consequence of your performance. Unfortunately, those things take a long time and they're really highly dependent on breaking through at some point of this chain. I told a story earlier about um, someone I knew who, because she was an asylum seeker, was effectively blocked from accessibility to abundant networks as a consequence of the fact that she couldn't work. And the only route that she was going to do that was by getting a place at a university that allowed her to connect with people who might have come from better postcodes, stood a higher chance or probability of getting a good job and effectively used a professional network context and construct to allow her to gain access to their networks, right? Now, LinkedIn can really help with that. But what I'm saying is that it, it required a breakthrough moment. And the call to action that we're making for businesses is it it shouldn't be contingent on a member who's got skills and talent, and this person's incredibly talented, to break through so that they see them. 
it's got to be contingent on them to have a broader lens on the talent landscape, which mm-hmm. mainly they go to more deprived parts of the UK, more deprived parts of you know, talent pools they've never considered before, and really consider people in a different way as candidates. And I definitely agree with that sentiment. Is there, is there a way for LinkedIn to play a part, apart from spreading this message, is there, from the technology side of things, is there a way that you can bring up more a more diverse list of candidates where you do searches? Or... Very glad that you asked that question. Yeah. Like, the design principles inherent in how we're building out talent solutions, like they indicate we've put a lot of thought into this. So we came up last year with this concept of diversity by design which is a design principle that really we think holds us to account in terms of how we build solutions that really surface a balanced perspective of the talent available to recruiters and how we surface candidates to recruiters done in a a very fair and balanced and equitable way. And we spend a lot of time considering that. And we've extended that with the introduction of this Project Every Member initiative, which again is holding us up, holding a light at how we're building products in a way that we can hand on heart say that we're building solutions that try and overcome you know, the negative influence of these vicious cycles in the network gap and allow us to you know, really open those up so that people in those cycles get access to virtuous cycles uh, in, in their networks. So we're putting a lot of effort into this and we really think that it's you know, going to become a nice start for how we build talent solutions in the future. Tell us uh, about your Grimsby United initiative, and I'm going to assume that Sasha Baron Cohen was not part of this one. No, we did not consult Sasha Baron Cohen on this. We considered a number of things before in September we went to Grimsby to really try and figure out how we could leverage the power of community in parts of the UK that had experienced tough times, economic headwinds. And we're really trying to test the concept of how we can help with the network gap from two standpoints. Firstly, you know, focused on the member in the way that we talked about, how we can help members in places like Grimsby, once a very, you know, abundant fishing port, now a bit down on its luck. How we could focus on the member community there and get them thinking about connections in a different way and help them drive connections not only with employers and members of the local community, but far and beyond. Um, And then we also focused with a number of initiatives, one, for example, being the LinkedIn that we put in Grimsby and also... The LinkedIn with two N's. The LinkedIn-in, yes. And also we focused on a LinkedIn lounge at the football club to try and introduce businesses, not only to new customers and markets, but also introducing businesses to, you know, hidden talent pools within Grimsby and introducing them to, you know, new skills that are available there and trying to find skills that they can start to invest in developing in the future. So it was really, really interesting for us just to learn about the power of community, to consider, you know, how businesses can learn from that and start to consider some of the kind of forgotten parts of the UK as talent pools that they wouldn't necessarily focus on. And we can take some of those learnings and that can instrument some of our thinking about how we build solutions for all businesses to uncover the hidden parts of the network gap that can be often incredibly abundant from a skill and talent point of view. Yeah, and uh, so that was in the UK and uh, I'm sure that applies to those sort of areas uh, globally as well. Right, and uh, because this is the employer branding podcast, I'm keen to know what your take is on employer brand management and its outlook for 2020. Well, I think what we've seen, and we've done some recent sort of studies and analysis, given what I've said about the new world of work and the talent market in general, I think it's 
clear where we're seeing companies do similar to what we've been doing, um, considering about how we're developing our own product strategy and looking at new markets for talent. It's clear that recruiters in businesses are changing their strategies too. And we've looked at the latest recruiter survey reports and some things come to be really clear. It's clear that recruiters are looking at uh, at new talent pools themselves and they're changing their hiring strategies. They're looking at new types of roles, non-traditional candidates to try and understand, you know, what inherent skills are there that they can develop in the future. They're also, I think, clearly working for companies that are investing in flexible working practices and new benefit offerings. And, you know, there are some really interesting statistics. I think 48% of the 600 companies that we, we surveyed, about 48% of the 600 recipients have said that they were looking at the introduction of new benefit offerings and 41% introducing new flexible working practices to attract a broader, more diverse range of candidates to their employment. And I think there's something in there where you know, the branding investments of companies kind of needs to keep pace because I think the investments are being made in a new portfolio of offerings for their employees, but many companies, they kind of stop there and they don't tell that story. And so how that's wrapped into their EVPs, how those EVPs are built into narratives, that they have the creative content that can support campaigns on platforms like LinkedIn is a really interesting way that companies are competing for talent. You know, and obviously as we're seeing a, a rebound in wages, you know, I think there's far more interest on our platform in terms of building out a competitive brand for yourself by signposting and signaling when you're making really good investments in employee offerings and engagement. I think that for me, is an area where we're seeing a lot of engagement and I think it's for me it's not something that necessarily you have to start big with you can start small you can build your offering you can see what works test the water and I think all manner of companies are now figuring this out and whether you're small medium size or big they're getting engaged on LinkedIn to do that great okay so what is your call to action for our listeners and uh, you know where can they learn more and where, where can they connect with yourself and your team well, look, I think the call to action for us at the moment is if we're serious about facing up to the network gap and really helping bridge this gap between invisible skill and the very diverse set of um, requirements that most businesses need from a skill point of view, then talent acquisition teams, they just need to be much bolder and more consistent in the strategies that they're deploying to really understand a broad view of the talent landscape available to them and it's very easy to get caught up in kind of short-term thinking especially when you're looking at quite significant events and there's a good example of that here in the UK with Brexit and in times of uncertainty it's understandable to some extent rational that you know we look to these more virtuous ends of the network gap and we noticed in our survey an increase a quite significant increase in the way that recruiters in the UK are approaching um, candidates through referrals. It went um, from about 36% of respondents to 48, which was a massive spike. And it's kind of comfortable, it's kind of low risk, it's probably lower cost. But I think where we'd really question them is, is that the right long-term thinking? Is that what's gonna set your business up for success in a world beyond Brexit and far out into the future? We're not entirely sure that that is. It's not bringing in the diversity of candidate, the diversity of thought, the diversity of experience, the diversity of skill that you might need in the future. So I think that's probably our call to action. And 
you know, we'd happily talk to you about those strategies. We'd happily talk to you about how you're leveraging our platform. And I'm the person now responsible for all the uh, EMEA field teams. So if you can't find somebody to have a conversation with, reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'll set that up for you, no problem. Fantastic, thank you so much for your time, John. Thank you. Okay, there you have it. Any questions for John and team? You know where to find them. It's not Twitter. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, why not check out employerbrandingpodcast.com? And of course, you can do so on Spotify, SoundCloud, all the other usual places. And if you want to make me happy today, why not leave a review? And also, I should mention that I am on the judging panel for the upcoming Employer Brand Management Awards, which are taking place here in London in March. Now, if you haven't submitted an entry yet, now is a good time to consider that. If you may have missed the deadline, let me know and I might be able to help out with that. It's a great event and I hope you consider sharing some of the cool stuff you've been doing this year in terms of initiatives and campaigns. Finally, if you are interested in measuring your employer brand, to injecting some science, some evidence into the hard work you do day out and day in, why not look at the Employer Brand Index, which is our methodology for measuring an organization in terms of employment, so your reputation as an employer even. So check that out at employerbrandindex.co. And that was it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and look forward to catching up next time. Hey, Dorf!